I'll be reading 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 and 8. The Pew Bible has pages, page 1015. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8. Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, has sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, we welcome you, and we thank you for being with us. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, We just had a wonderful father-daughter retreat the past few days, and you may see a few folks here with big smiles on their face and sleepy eyes. Uh, We didn't sleep a lot, or at least it didn't feel like we did, but it sure was a great retreat, and we're thankful to have weekends like this that we can experience things like that. But we're thankful for this Sunday morning, a wonderful time to praise God, a wonderful time, as we just read in the Scripture, to reflect upon the fact that we truly are unleavened. What? Yes. We truly are unleavened. Does that make sense? Indeed, Christ is your Passover. Have you dwelt on that this past week? Let me consider the way I'm going to live because I'm unleavened and Christ is the Passover and I need to be sure and keep the feast. What does all that mean? Isn't it interesting that in 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, this kind of language comes out of the problem in verse 1 where the church had opened their arms and had wholly embraced a man who was living in a sexually immoral relationship with his father's wife? You know, when you read in the 6th chapter, he would address sexual immorality and he would say, flee fornication. A little bit later, he would even say, To them, he would say, don't you know that your body's not your own? You've been bought with a price. Or think about 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter in verse 4, where he says, look at your body. It's a vessel. Now sanctify it with honor. Or in Romans, the first chapter, in similar teachings there, he taught that, that our body, the way we use it, should bring honor to the Creator who made it, and we should not dishonor Him or our body. Now... Why is it that here he uses something that really he doesn't use it in this way any other time in the scriptures? He decides to take what we would consider day-to-day living and he says you ought to consider the way you live day in and day out. Now for just a moment, get past the the very narrow focus of sexual immorality and broaden it out just to -to day-to-day life. And he says, let me tell you the reason you ought to consider how you're living. You're supposed to be unleavened. You're supposed to have Christ as your Passover. Every day of your life, you're supposed to be observing the feast. This morning, I'd like for us to go all the way back 3,500 years. And I give you a beautiful warning. We're going to cover a lot of scriptures. So if, if you tend to like sermons that are full of illustrations, I can tell you I do too. But this morning, to cover all the things that we need to cover to travel from the Old Testament and look at the Passover and then arrive to see how is it that God expects this metaphor to affect us in our Christian day-to-day life, I believe we can gain tremendous insight 
to what God has laid out for us in the past and what He has brought to us into the present. If you will, turn back with me to the book of Exodus. I'm going to begin mentioning some things in the 7th chapter and then we'll go a little bit deeper into the 12th chapter. Just for your memory's sake, you'll remember, which by the way, we're studying through the Bible, the plan from the beginning to the end. And there are study books in the window seals that you're welcome to pick one up, even if you're a guest, we'd love for you to. They're also scattered throughout the foyer. And really, some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning about the Passover, that's about where we are in our weekly Bible study right now. I'd like for you to think back to Joseph being sold into slavery and, and then he was exalted second in command and, and knew that the famine was coming and there was a great storehouse of goods and his brothers came down not knowing it was him but wanting to buy grain from them. And then finally when it's revealed that it's him, he invites the father and all on behalf of Pharaoh to come and to live. There's 70 of the Israelites that moved down to survive the famine and they have a lot of sheep and herds. And so it's just natural since Pharaoh was very sympathetic to them because he appreciated Joseph so much. You know what he did? He gave them the best land around, the mouth of the Nile River, a hundred miles by a hundred and fifty mile wide stretch of land known as Goshen. Even to this day, it is so fertile and they did well. Their herds did well. The people grew and they multiplied. And then by the time we come to Exodus, we see that Ramses II is who we think was probably the Pharaoh at that time. He didn't know Joseph, didn't appreciate Joseph. And all he saw were a large nation of people called the Israelites who were not Egyptians, who were were growing great in size, in number, and in strength. And the fear was they would align themselves with some enemy and Egypt would be overtaken. And so he began to oppress them, use them as slave labor, and build amazing cities. And God had had enough of it. 400 years has passed, and God is going to send Moses in. Now, just because Moses says on behalf of God, let my people go, you remember the story. Pharaoh isn't going to drop his hands and just say, go ahead, take all of my slave labor. Instead, it's going to take some plagues to convince him. And so the first plague, and we'll give a little bit of detail to this, and this morning we just don't have time to give detail to each plague, but I want you to get in your mind how powerful these plagues were. So the first plague, God tells Moses exactly where to go to deliver it. He says, Pharaoh goes down every morning to the Nile River. You go and you stand there and you meet him when he gets there. And so he gets there and he says, God said, let my people go. He wouldn't let the people go. He says, if you don't let the people go, we're going to turn, God's going to turn all the water into blood. All of the fish are going to die. And the Bible even says they're going to stink. He turned to Aaron, told him to hold out the rod. And when he did, can you imagine? The Nile River became blood. The Bible even says the ponds and the streams became blood. The Bible even says that the buckets that had water in them and the pitchers made of stone... All of them were holding blood. This happened for seven days. And during that time, the people became so thirsty and so desperate, they began to try to dig by hand additional wells. But I assume, and you know what they found each time they did. Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go sent frogs more than what we could imagine. And even once the frogs were dead and no more were sent, they had huge piles of stinking frogs. 
Can you ladies imagine going to cook and having to clean your oven out of frogs and your kneading bowls to pour out the dead frogs? Then there were gnats, then there were flies, then there were pestilence that, that uh, injured and killed the livestock. And then by the sixth plague, the sixth plague come upon mankind. The sixth plague were, or the fit, the sixth plague was boils on their body. And, and when Pharaoh called the magicians to help address this problem of the boils, they couldn't even come to him because they were so afflicted with the boils themselves. The seventh was hail. This is a little bit personal, isn't it, what we've experienced recently? Except this hail was so desperate that God gave through Moses the warning ahead of time, any livestock or any people you don't get out of the fields, they'll die in this hailstorm. And it happened. And then locusts were sent that turned the day to night because they blocked the sun and stripped all of the vegetation and all of the fruit And then by the time we come to the ninth plague, it reminds us of sin. Three days of darkness so much you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. Can you imagine an entire nation having to feel their way around? Can you imagine how paralyzed they were? And then we come to that tenth plague that brings us to the Passover. To the death of the firstborn. But now note, this wasn't just for Egypt. This was for anyone that was in that area. So if Israel was going to be spared of the death of their firstborn, they were going to have to have faith. Why was it faith? Because they'd never seen anything like this before. Are you going to believe it just because God says it? Just because God says, I'm going to pass over at midnight and, and I'm going to make sure that every firstborn dies, are they going to believe it? And then when he sends a remedy... How strange could that remedy be? God, what do you want us to do? Well, let's scan some verses here. When we go to the 12th chapter, notice some things that's going to take place. When we look at verse 3, he tells every man, and this is Exodus 12 in verse 3, it's on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of the father, a lamb for the household. Now, this lamb was not only to be slain in the blood uh, put on the doorposts, etc., as we'll see in just a moment. But this lamb was to be roasted and eaten, and none of it wasted. So we see that it was to be shared. If one family could not eat an entire lamb, and so in verse four, if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb. And it wasn't just, hey, farmers, go out and and pick out one you were going to call out anyway. It was pick out the very best lamb. See there in 5, it was without blemish. It was a male of the first year. And look at verse 6, what's going to happen. The blood of this lamb is going to be slain. It's not this lamb is a show lamb, and we're going to parade it in front of everybody, and we're all going to talk about how lovely livestock we have, and look how great our lambs are. No, the life of this lamb is going to be taken. Why? So that the firstborn in your house could live. Please let that sink in. That's very important. The lamb's life had to be taken if the people in your family were going to be alive after that midnight cry where the Egyptians all had death in their household. So in verse 6, Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts, on the lintel of the house where they 
eat it. So wherever they're eating it, that blood had to be on the doorpost. Why? For death not to come in to their firstborn. But it wasn't only the lamb. And this is what's important for us to appreciate as we look back at the end of this sermon this morning to the passage we just started in in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, where we are the unleavened. Christ is the Passover. And every day... Our life is to be the feast. And so look at Exodus, the the 12th chapter and verse 8. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with what? Unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. A lamb with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Not herbs that would make it taste well. This is not a good night. This is, not, this is not something that we look at and say, Ooh, big celebration, make a delicious meal. This is a serious, a somber time. There's bitterness. There's going to be a lot of death. Can we be spared of this death? And then we go to the 11th verse, and I'd like for you to notice, Thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, So you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. Why? Another thing that we need to know about the Passover is that it represented separation. They'd been living in Egypt, but God had a home for them in Canaan. If they were going to leave, and if they were all going to leave there alive, there was going to have to be that time of separation. And so they were ready to leave. And in Exodus, the 12th chapter, in verse 15, they were going to eat the unleavened bread and they were going to remove the leaven from your houses. Now, that's very important right there. And we're going to come back to some of this in just a moment. Look at one, or one more passage here. Look at 26 and 27. In Exodus 12 and 26, and it shall be when your children say to you, because now it's going to become a memorial feast, And when your children, in other words, they're going to celebrate this once a year after this. And the children are going to say, what do you mean by this service? Talking about the Passover celebration. He says that you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. Now, can you envision this? Can you envision families coming in and say, hey, did you hear what Moses said that God said? What? The firstborn of our family is going to die. Go ahead, in your family, who is that? It just so happens in my family that Colton is the only firstborn in our family, but some of you parents may be the firstborn. And and if you, of course, have children, you have a firstborn child. How many in your family? Can you imagine everybody just focusing in on that firstborn and saying, what are we going to do? Moses has told us what we could do. We've got to slay a lamb. Which lamb are we going to get, Daddy? That would be the firstborn, very concerned. You listening? Did you get that? Okay, and, and, and so he says, we got to get the best lamb. You can imagine, this is probably the firstborn out there saying, you better believe it's going to be the best one. Here we go, which one is it? Right there, that's the best one. Call everybody in. We're roasting this lamb, and can you imagine as the father went out and he put the blood on the doorpost, and I'm not trying to be funny to make light of it, but can you imagine how the firstborn of the family probably several times went out just to make sure that blood was there? I tell you, if I was the firstborn, I would. If, I was, if my son was going to die, whether or not that blood was on that doorpost or not, I can imagine how many times that night I would go out and check. 
Can you imagine going out at 10 o'clock and checking, is it still there? Is the blood still there? Everybody, we've got to consume this lamb. Nobody fails to eat. And everybody eats the entire lamb. Why? But then there's the unleavened bread. Leaven throughout the scriptures represents sin. You remember a passage that you may have heard of before, and if we would have read one verse earlier in our scripture reading this morning, you would have heard it this morning. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Leaven represents sin. Have you ever noticed that whenever you start dealing in a little bit of sin, it snowballs, and before long, sin just seems to be sprinkled all throughout your life? Why? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Have you ever noticed that whenever one or two members of your family begin to really become engaged in sin, where where that's their life, there's willful sin, and they're not ashamed of it? Have you ever noticed how it trickles to other family members? It's hard for that not to happen. It's possible for it not to happen, but it's hard for it not to happen. Why? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Have you ever seen congregations where at one point they're wholly devoted to God and then later on, years later, they look a whole lot like the world and they don't look a whole lot like the Lord anymore? Why? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so now he's saying, listen, If death is going to pass over, it's not only the lamb and the blood that's got to be slain, but you've got to get yeast out of your house. Not just out of your bread. You've got to get yeast out of your house. There's going to be, once they start celebrating this feast, there's going to be seven days of unleavened. They would literally sweep the house for fear that there might be crumbs that had fallen off leavened bread in the previous weeks. They would light candles and they would go around and they would search the house. It is said that the Jewish fathers would begin in one room of the house and he would literally open every cupboard, look on every tabletop, look underneath, and when he got through checking one room completely, he checked it off and he went to the next room and he made sure before the first day of the unleavened week, he made sure that there was no leaven in the house. You're unleavened. That's what you're supposed to be. That's what the text is this morning. He said, you truly are unleavened. Have you made sure that sin is cleaned out of your life? Have you looked in the cupboards? Have you looked on the tabletops? Have you looked underneath? Have you went to the closets of your life? Have you made sure that leaven is out? You see, the Lord's done his part, the Passover lamb, but we have to do our part. The leaven has to be out of the house. The lamb has to die. We have to respond to the lamb by saying, I'll put the blood on the doorpost, which is a metaphor for the Old Testament. And then we go down a lot of years. As a matter of fact, we go down 1,500 years to John, the first chapter. In 29, John 1 and 29, John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus. When he sees Jesus approaching, he could have said, behold, the Messiah. He could have said, behold, the King of kings. He could have said, behold, the man from Nazareth. The carpenter's son. All the things he could have said. Instead he says, behold, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Any Jew, any Jew that would have registered strongly, He's the Lamb. Are you talking about a Lamb that that we offer once a year and we make atonement for sin once every year? And John could have clarified that by saying, oh, no, no, this is the, not just any lamb, the lamb of God. He's going to be offered once and for all for all of mankind's sin. You know, back, now think about what we just did. We went from the beginning of the Passover where they would have celebrated this every year for 1,500 years. And now we come to not a physical animal, but we come to Jesus, the Messiah. They expected the Messiah to be one who would restore the Davidic reign in Jerusalem and he would oppress Rome, whereas on the other hand, Rome was oppressing them at this time. And so they were looking for a king, they were looking for a warrior, they were looking for a leader. And can you imagine how some of the Jews must have been disappointed? Where's our warrior? You're telling me he's a lamb? What do you want today? You want a God who's more like Santa Claus? He just gives you all the possessions and the comfort you could ever want? Or do you want God who can take away the sins and offer you an eternal life? Offer you purpose in your life that is like the feast. Offer you a way to have the leaven taken out of your life so you can really be unleavened. If we went back 700 years, 700 to 800 years, Isaiah prophesied of the fact that the lamb would come to this earth and that he would be led like a lamb to the slaughter. He wouldn't even open his mouth. Now, what I'd like for you to do now is turn with me to Luke, the 22nd chapter. In Luke, the 22nd chapter, man, we're going to skip a lot of slides. In Luke, the 22nd chapter, we're down to the last Passover that Jesus is going to celebrate before his death. Now, let that settle in. Here's the Lamb of God. He is going to be the lamb for the ultimate Passover where death will pass over us. But he wants to celebrate the old Jewish holiday ceremony with them because that's still the law that they're living under. And Jesus did not come to destroy the law, but to keep the law. And so he's not going to defile the law. He's simply going to fulfill the law. This will be the last time the Jews would ever be required by God to keep the Passover. And so it's time to celebrate that. See that in Luke 22 and 7? See, then came the day of what? Unleavened bread? It's time to clean the leaven out of the houses and and out of your life. And the Passover must be killed. That's the lamb. And and in verse 8, Peter and John are sent to make preparations. Look down to verse 14. The hour had come. He sat down with the 12 apostles with him, and he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. In other words, Jesus says, I've been looking forward to this. I want to celebrate this with you. And look in verse 16. For I say to you, I'll no longer be until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
Then he took the cup. Now, this would have been one of the cups of the Passover. And he gave thanks. He said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I'll not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now, notice as he begins here, taking what was a part of the Passover and instituting it in the Lord's Supper that we just took of. And I know I'm probably stating the obvious, but please allow me to do that. You noticed a while ago when the bread was passed, it was a flat bread. And it wasn't because, oh, we, we choose flat bread over risen bread. It's because of what was taking place the very time that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. There is no guess. It is an absolute fact beyond facts. He would have picked up unleavened bread at the part of the Passover. They could not have leaven in the house. And he would have picked up that unleavened bread. And notice what he would have said about it. In 19, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, imagine him holding this unleavened bread. Notice uh, unleavened, it's free of sin. This is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in 20, he would have taken that other cup and he would apply this to the Lord's Supper instead of the Passover. And he took the cup after the supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. He took the bread that was unleavened. It was free for sin. He was the ultimate sacrifice. Why? Because he had no sin. When he died on the cross for sin, he died for our sin. And then when he took the blood, his blood was shed. Why? Because of the Passover. That blood had to be shed so that death would pass over us. Why? Because Passover is about separation. Are we going to remain in the world? Are we going to be sanctified? Are we going to be freed from the bondage of the world? And are we going to become a part of this new life? Well, what is this new life? Now, this is metaphorically speaking. What is this new life? This new life is when we say, I want to become a part of the body of Christ. What's Christ's body? Unleavened. I want to become a part of Christ's body. I want to be free of sin. How can that happen? The blood of Jesus forgives us of our sins because of repentance. We turn away and say, I don't want to live a life of sin. I don't want to remain in willful sin. And so we live that unleavened life, forgiven of sin. And what is that? Metaphorically speaking, every day, It's the feast of the Passover. I want to go back, and I want us to close by reading the scripture we started out with this morning. You're not going to see anything new. It's what we just said, but I just want to see it with your own eyes in the scripture. They were accepting immorality. And it didn't have to be just immorality. It could be any sin that they were accepting. And Paul says, whoa, 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 whoa. You guys have heard about the Passover. You've heard about unleavened bread. You've heard about Christ being the blood, the lamb. Listen, there's something that God expects that's better for you. What is it that's better? Look at verse 7 again. Therefore purge out the old leaven, that's the sin, that you, that's personal, you may be a new lump. What's that new lump going to be? Since you truly are unleavened. It's not symbolic in the sense that you really are forgiven of sins. You really are living a new life. You really are a part of the body of Christ. Now notice this next part. For indeed, that's with certainty. For indeed, Christ, who is he? Our Passover was sacrificed for us. 
Therefore, let us keep what? The feast. He's not talking about annually. He's talking about our life, day in and day out. We keep the feast. We live for the Passover Lord, an unleavened life where we do not want sin. We want to be forgiven. And so he uses uh, some some words to represent sin and righteousness. So the leaven of malice and wickedness is cast out of us. That represents sin. But with the unleavened bread of what? Sincerity and truth. Sincerity is the singleness of mind. You're going to live a little bit in the world and a little bit for the Lord? He says, no, cast the world part out. Cast the unleavened part out. Live, live in sincerity, singleness of mind. Live in truth. See, when we're not sincere, we're hypocrites. He says, don't be a hypocrite. Sincere truth. Why? We don't have anything to offer ourselves eternally if we don't have Christ as our Passover and our life is unleavened. We don't have anything to offer the world around us that's different from who they already are if we are not the unleavened, living a life for the Passover Christ. This morning, we couldn't say enough praise to thank God for His resurrected Son. Without Christ, without Him being our Passover, we're nothing. But simply because we can't say enough to give Him what He deserves doesn't mean that we ought not give our all to truly live a life of sincerity and truth, unleavened with Christ as our Passover. This morning, if we can help you in any way, take a step closer to God, we want to do that. You're in a house full of people, and nobody is perfect. There sure are a lot of people here that are forgiven, and they're living the unleavened life the best they can because of the grace of God. And this morning, if you need to respond publicly, we'd love to help you. If you need prayers or to be immersed into Christ, and it may be that you're not ready to respond publicly, but you have questions and and you want to grow, but you don't know exactly how to do that. Afterwards, find us. Find any of our members and let us know. We would love to help you in any way that we can help you grow closer to God. We can help you come as we stand, as we sing.